Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Going to go straight to the offices of Women's Aid and speak with their CEO, Sarah Benson. Sarah, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Good morning to you and to your listeners today. Thanks for being with us today. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend and to take in what has happened in Tullamore this week, isn't it? It is because what we are talking about is something that is literally senseless. You have, you know, a, a beautiful young woman, all all of her life, all of her potential robbed and, and all of the, the, the ripples that are hitting her family, her community, the, the, the children she taught. And, uh, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, I, I, saying again and again, our, our, our deepest condol- condolences and thoughts are first and foremost with that family, with that community, because it is incomprehensible that somebody should do something so normal and uh, be subjected to, to such a brutality that actually ends their life. It is hard to comprehend, really. The Sarah Everard story <coughs> last summer uh, dominated our conversation here for quite a number of days. There was also the case of Sabina Nessa, of, of which I know less. But I think there's a new level here, isn't there, Sarah, when this happened at four o'clock on a bright, sunny, crisp January day. Mm. Yeah, and and I think we we ourselves also in Women's Aid the first thing we we kind of uh, heard felt were, were the echoes of the Sarah Everard case, and very quickly the kind of discourse, the kind of distress, and it is real distress across the whole of our community, but also the anger, um, you know, had uh, all of the echoes of that that kind of outpouring that that came after the Sarah Everard case, and while that happened in the UK, it really really did um, have an impact here as well. Well, and and this case then just brings it all the more closer to home. And and indeed, in Sarah Everard's case, nine o'clock, walking home. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know. And, and again, we we risk falling into those kind of victim blaming tropes of this was a situation where this shouldn't have happened. There's no situation, be it at two o'clock in the morning, walking home from the club, sure. or walking home from you know babysitting or from your job. Uh, you know, there just is no circumstance where a woman should risk. Uh, you know, that level of attack. And yes, that's kind of hardwired into all women, including myself. I, I, I know that, you know, um, for, for as, as long as I can remember, you know, I've, I've done all the things that women have, have talked about, and particularly in my teens and 20s when, you know, young women, uh, you know, can be much, uh, you know, can be higher risk targets. Um, but the fact is, they're a target of somebody and our focus needs to shift towards the perp- the person who actually is the perpetrator. That's where we need to actually uh, make meaningful change. What kind of 
person does this, Sarah? I know that there's a lot of research into this kind of thing. What kind of an individual does this? Well, I think, again, the... the the, the reality is, is that people who go on to perpetrate the worst excesses of violence, be they against men or against women, but particularly where we're talking about violence targeting women, it has its roots in, uh, you know, a, a sexism, a misogyny that starts small. I mean, people don't escalate to these kinds of behaviours uh, from nowhere. It doesn't come from nowhere. And that's where, as a society, we need to be really careful um, and it's a challenge, but we have to situate the behaviour of those who act in the most extreme way uh, around how do we as a community educate that person, what messages were out there, what early warning signs of perhaps disrespectful behaviour towards women, uh, casual sexism, degrading comments, you know, uh, intimate partner violence, all of those are on a spectrum that leads in its worst and thankfully rarer uh, excesses to the extremes of sexual and physical violence um, that that we and our colleagues in, in the domestic service in violence services and sexual violence services are dealing with every day but they don't come from nowhere our society breeds it in a statement you say every woman should have the right to be safe both in their own homes and in their communities we need zero tolerance to all forms of male violence against women and it takes all of us to commit to lasting change. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, has been on multiple media platforms over the last day and a half. What effectively is her job and the government's job, Sarah, in this regard? Yeah, well, I mean, and I think I think I would I would home in on what you've just said last. There is that it is the whole government's response. This is not the responsibility of any one ministry or minister. Um, so we will very soon have the publication of our new domestic, sexual, and gender-based violence strategy. There has been a very broad-based, very detailed consultation, different to any other um, development of previous uh, national strategies, and crucial to that. And and we and our colleagues in the likes of Safe Ireland and and very crisis centres and, and all of the organisations working on the different forms of domestic, sexual and gender-based violence have said that this has to be owned across all of government. It also has to be monitored with some authority at, at a very senior level in government because one ministry can't necessarily hold another to account. And this is a multifaceted approach. It starts at our earliest education, our, our uh, sexual, sexuality and relationships education from primary school up. We can't talk about consent in college if we haven't been talking to our Montessori children about what it is to be respectful, you know, of boys and girls, uh, parity of esteem, uh, you know, really tackling those negative gender stereotypes, which are actually really unhealthy for boys just as much as girls. So this isn't a this isn't a, something that we're saying is just for women. Anything like this will actually benefit all of society. Society. And then we need our protections. We need the continued and increased resourcing of all of the support services um, and indeed services for, for male victims of violence, because fundamentally, uh, the vast, vast majority of violence perpetrated against both men and women is by men. But women's experience is different because it is in the context of a gender unequal society. So any gains we are to make have to be done with the, the perspective that Combating domestic and sexual violence on its own, uh, it, you know, siloed off to the side isn't really a, a, a strategy that's going to work. It has to be working towards a gender equal society mm -hmm. um, will then help us to uh, to reduce and prevent, you know, that really hard edge of manifestation of um, uh, male violence against women. I told my listeners a story just there before the 10 o'clock news, um, Sarah. 
I once would have given some credence to the whole not all men argument until, and this is a number of years ago, I was having lunch with a good friend and I was bringing this up in the context of some violent crime that had happened and she said, stop a second now, she said, you're my friend. I know that you pose absolutely no threat to me or to anybody else around me. I know that. I'm perfectly happy with that, to know that. But when I leave our lunch meeting and I'm walking home alone, do I know that the next man I see coming behind me or in front of me, do I know that, that they are no threat? No, I don't. That, she said, is what we live with. I don't know. Now, Sarah... That, first of all, taught me to understand that the not-all-men thing is a worthless argument. But how do I help? How do the rest of us men, boys, how do we help to to make that go away or make that right? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that example your friend gave just kind of cuts to the heart of it is, you know, no woman knows we don't have a radar, we don't know. So our default position in certain circumstances will be to assume that someone is a potential threat. Now, for those who kind of espouse the not all men, I, I actually see, you know, and I understand that for, for some men that feels like it's a really painful thing. Um, and I think that's because they're taking it personally. This isn't personal to individual men. It is simply the reality that this is women's lived experience in a society that unfortunately has an epidemic of violence mm. against women. And so setting aside your personal feelings, understanding that being part of a solution is modeling the opposite, is modeling the healthy respectful you know as I say men and women are different um, so it's not about we're all same same it is about respecting and also really challenging and just and, and, and interrogating sometimes those unconscious thoughts that come in which are actually steeped in you know value judgments victim blaming all of those things um, so that thing of being really alert to your thoughts uh, as they relate to maybe sexist jokes uh, you know minimizing certain uh, certain um, experiences that women have, minimizing their fears. Listen to women ask. I mean, one of the things that was so surprising to me and I think to a lot of women with the Sarah Everard case was just how surprised so many men seemed to be to hear what uh, women had gone through, you know, where they were just literally naming experiences over their lifetime. I mean, I I can say for myself, at at 15, I was curb-crawled at the bus stop waiting to go to school. At at 18, living in another country, I had a knife held to me on a a train. You know, uh, I I actually had an incident involving a gun at one point. And, you know, people are just astonished to think that that's something that is part of women's lived experience. And... um, and so I think it's that kind of realizing that you, you, you have to open yourself up to listen. But I think the crucial thing is listen, listen to women, just hear what their experience is so you can understand, because it's hard to empathize with an experience you don't know and can't connect mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then be part of that conversation, be part of that peer to peer calling out, you know, don't let that really sexist joke slide. Don't let that remark that was passed at the woman as she was passing in the bar go. Call out your friend, call out your your. Um, your colleague um, and just be part of that uh, zero tolerance because that is we know it's a powerful thing peer to peer man to man father to son um, you know uh, to to actually just go you know that's not cool and it's amazing how quickly that can actually do 
diffuse, uh, you know, quite tense situations. And it really sends a strong message to usually the minority in the group or even just the one individual in the group who might think, well, my friends aren't saying anything about that, so it must be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sarah Everard and the fallout from that uh, brought a realisation, I think, to certainly to me and to many others, I think, listeners of the programme, every, you just related your own, every woman seems to have a story. Some of it very small scale stuff. Some of it terrifying stuff. Every woman has a story. That's the first learning, I think, for all of us. Absolutely. And I think it even goes beyond that because what happens, and this is very similar to domestic violence and coercive control, where you may have one incident or your friend may have one incident, which is very, very frightening. And then you may not have that experience for years and years and years yourself, but it is always in your head that that could happen. And what that does is it instills that default vigilance. Um, and it comes back to what your friend really succinctly uh, shared is that we don't know if... Therefore, we have to assume that it could be. Therefore, we all then start to take these measures. So it isn't the case that we are necessarily saying that women are subjected every single day, you know, uh, relentlessly to, to these kind of abusive behaviours. The problem is that once it happens once, we always know that it could happen again and we don't know when and we don't know who. So that is what creates the climate of fear, not that it happens all the time. But we need to then dispel that by, you know, um, I'm very, very lucky in my life. I have really in, in, my, in my close male relationships, nothing but good men. And that's a wonderful thing. But, you know, when I'm out in the street and we need to make sure our communities feel safe. And yes, we will. Women will continue to look at things like apps, like self-defense and like all of those those things until that changes but that's not the solution those are only mitigating factors in the same way that public life and more policing in certain areas may again mitigate but the only thing that's going to change this is if we can um you know if you know at, at best utterly reduce uh, but if not uh, eradicate you know the actual violence itself because once it happens once it can always happen again all right listen chief executive of women's aid sarah benson thank you for being with me on the opinion line today on corks 96 fm if you need support from women's aid their 24 hour helpline and it's free is 1800 341 900 1800 341 900. Locally, uh, Mary Crilly and her wonderful team at the Cork Sexual Violence Centre, they're contactable at 1-800-496-496. Uh, there are many numbers that you can ring also on a website at stillhere.ie. And of course, at any time, if you feel in immediate danger, the number to ring is 999-112. Cork's 96FM. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 